I'm going to ask Heather to join me on the stage here. Heather was with us this morning. We had a chance to interview her and get to know her a little bit. Uh, just briefly for you, um, Heather was a student here just a few years ago. Uh, and since then, she's been out serving God across the world. But I'm going to leave her to, to fill in the details as she talks to us, um, particularly about this passage this evening. Uh, but before we get that far, we're just going to pray for her now. Heavenly Father, thank you for Heather. Thank you for uh, her testimony. And thank you for her loyal service to you over the years. And we just pray for her now as she brings to us your word. We thank you for the Gospel of Luke. We thank you for the studies that we've been doing each Sunday night as we've traveled through uh, that narrative. And we just pray that you will open our hearts to receive your word this evening. Challenge us, teach us, transform us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for your welcome, and um, yeah, it's great to be with you here today. It's actually five years since I was here before. Um, that's partly because of the pandemic, um, yeah, partly um, because I've been in Asia for most of those years. Um, as Mark said, I was a student here from 2000 to 2003, so quite a while ago. <laughs> Um, but it was here that God really started to shape an interest in cross-cultural ministry. Um, and it's a privilege just to be with you today, partly to thank you for being part of that journey in those years, but since then, and for your faithful support in that. And it's also a joy to share a little bit of God's heart for the nations, for those who haven't had opportunity to hear about Jesus. Um, and, yeah, a little bit about what I do, but also from the Word of God. So I work for an organization called OMF International. And our desire is to see East Asia's peoples, whether they're located in East Asia or anywhere in the world, knowing Jesus, living lives that honor him, and sharing Jesus with others, both here, across the street, and across the world. Um, if you want to know more about that, come and speak to me afterwards. There's some literature at the back as well. Um, but yeah, I'd like to share a little bit from the passage that we've had read to us. So, today's passage starts with the phrase, Then, the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. So just so, just like many of our favorite TV programs, we kind of need to start with a previously. What has happened before this? If we look back to the chapter beforehand, we see that this is all taking place around the time of the Passover. A time when the Jewish people are expected to travel to Jerusalem from their villages, from their communities, scattered across the area to celebrate and mark together Passover, a key time in the Jewish calendar. As people set out from their villages and communities walking up to Jerusalem, they would have been joined with others making the same journey. The sense of anticipation and atmosphere in that crowd would have been growing as they journeyed. They may have been joined with others, 
with people they knew or strangers. And as they got there, that would have grown. And then, once they got there, the population in Jerusalem would have swelled from its normal size to welcoming in all those who'd made the journey. And they would have welcomed them to every little bit of spare space that could be found. The place would have been buzzing. As as we said this morning, I spent 13 years in Thailand and some of my favorite memories from Thailand are being invited by Thai friends to join them to celebrate Thai New Year with their families. Sometimes that would have been traveling to their villages that they had come from and sometimes it was the family coming to join them in the area that we lived. And it would happen every April. And there would be this mass movement of people across the country dispersing from the big cities to the smaller cities and towns and villages. And there was an expectation that people would return home. As you, got, as you built up for it, all forms of public transport would be fully booked as soon as the tickets went on sale. And people would prepare by getting gifts and things to take back to their family. Because it was often the only time that they would return. For those parents who'd left children in villages, it was the only time they may see their children in a year. And it was the only time the children would see their parents in a year. The expectations were huge. What would the time together be like? What will they do? The religious activities that they were going to take part in, the washing of the family idols and parading them around the streets, among other things, the community activities, the showing of respect to elders, the treats and the outings, the fun and the gifts. The pressure could be quite immense. The buses and train station would be thronging with people as they scrambled to board their chosen mode of transport. And as the buses and minivans made their slow progress, they were joined on the roads by the many cars filled to brimming with people heading home. They would make slow progress up extremely congested roads where four lanes of traffic would become six tightly squeezed together, snaking as far as the eye could see. And then the journey is repeated in the opposite direction as Thai New Year ends, but this time with less belongings and a different atmosphere. Now this helps me to imagine the atmosphere as the Jewish people made their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for Passover. The expectations and the atmosphere among the people. And this would have spilled out into Jerusalem itself. Both as people there anticipated the arrival of those coming and that those on the journey. It's in this atmosphere that today's passage takes place. In the lead-up to today's passage, Jesus has been arrested and taken to the house of the chief priest, or the high priest. 
It was at there that Peter denied Jesus three times. And it was also there that the guards had been mocking and beating Jesus. And we read at daybreak, right at the start of the day, the councils of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together and Jesus was led before them. Jesus is asked, is he the Messiah? He answers wisely, if I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. Jesus is then asked, is he the Son of God? To which he replies, you say that I am. The chief priests and the teachers feel they don't need to hear any more. And it's in this context that this evening's passage starts. The whole assembly, all those gathered there, rise, every single one of them, and they take Jesus off to Pilate. I sometimes wonder what Pilate would have made all of this. A group of key Jewish leaders bringing the man Jesus, another Jew, before Pilate, accusing him and claiming that he is the Messiah and also king. A threat to Jewish leaders and a threat to Pilate. And when Jesus is brought before Pilate, a religious charge is transformed into a political charge. It becomes more than just an issue for the Jewish community, but now it's one of concern for the Roman rulers. The accusations against Jesus are both false and insidious. In terms of being false, Jesus was accused of opposing paying taxes to Caesar. But actually, he hadn't forbidden or even discouraged payment of taxes. In fact, earlier in Luke, we see the teachers of the law and the chief priests trying to trap Jesus with a question about paying taxes. And as part of his answer, Jesus says, Then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. In terms of being insidious, the accusations are couched in such a way to rouse Roman concern. They're saying that he is perverting the nation, not just one or two individuals, but the whole nation, to rise up against the authorities. And this is a significant fear for the Romans and for Pilate in particular. But in fact, Jesus had been opposing violent rebellion from the beginning. He offered an even urged way of peace. But despite this, it plays on Pilate's own fears. But Pilate doesn't want to condemn Jesus. He says that he finds no basis for a charge against him. But the reference to Galilee 
gives Herod a way out. He can send Jesus to Herod. Pilate is happy to pass on the responsibility to Pilate, who just happened to be in town. And until now, Pilate and Herod hadn't exactly been best buddies. Initially, having Jesus sent to him pleased Herod. He had wanted to see Jesus. He had wanted to see him perform miracles. At last, he may have that chance to see the spectacular. But when Jesus doesn't answer his question or perform the miracles that Herod wanted to see, Herod joins the soldiers in mocking and ridiculing Jesus. And Herod actually also doesn't want to take responsibility for charging Jesus and sends him back to Pilate. But Pilate still doesn't find reason to charge Jesus and offers to flog him or punish him and let him go. And this was kind of a punishment that was too harsh if he was innocent, but too lenient if he was guilty. Pilate offers to do this three times, and each time the chief priests, the teachers, and the people dismiss his offer and insist on what they want. I imagine it would have been quite the scene. It wasn't probably a little gathering in a nice little circle, sat around talking gently, but more a raucous crowd and loud and this process of toing and throwing from Pilate to Herod and back to Pilate, whilst all the same time being accompanied by a crowd, brings the Romans and the Jewish, the political and the religious together. Both were equally involved and responsible for what was to happen to Jesus next. It's clear that there's no legal reason for Jesus to be crucified despite the demands of the chief priests and the leaders of the people. Neither of them find him guilty, but Herod joins the soldiers in mocking and mistreating Jesus. Pilate sought a compromise, but both give in to the demands of the crowd. And the crowd are asking for Barabbas to be freed. But the irony is that Barabbas is in prison for insurrection and murder, part of what Jesus is being accused of. And Barabbas' name also means son of the father. Barabbas is guilty of the crimes that Jesus is accused of, and even though he is innocent. And in many ways, Jesus takes the place of Barabbas, the innocent one, paying for the guilt. An author called J.C. Ryle says, this is an illustration of what wonderful exchange which takes place between Christ and the sinner. Those of us where there is something between us and God which is all of us. When a sinner is justified in God's sight. But As we look back at this passage, I want to ask, who do they say Jesus is? Who do the 
the Jewish leaders, the chief priests, the teachers, Herod, Pilate, the crowd. Who does Jesus say he is? And who do you say he is? Well, the Jewish leaders, they accuse him of being a troublemaker, of claiming to be the Messiah, and stirring up problems. Pilate refuses to condemn him of those charges, but due to his own fears, and some may say spinelessness, he gives in to the crowd. Herod also doesn't want to condemn Jesus, but takes part in the mocking and the ridiculing of Jesus. And the crowd? Well, they pronounce Jesus as being guilty and demand for him to be crucified. But what about Jesus? When Pilate asks Jesus, he answers and asks the question, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus simply answers, You have said so. Jesus was both wise in how he answered the questions and he was confident in who he is. But what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? Do you say he was innocent? Do you say he was guilty? Or do you say something else? I'd like to just share a story of something that happened this week. So just this last Thursday, I had the privilege of attending a Thanksgiving service for the life of a lady called Lalagay Carswell. Lalagay was a lady whose life I had had the privilege of observing over many years. And particularly when I had the opportunity to live with her after I finished Bible college. Lalagay was a gentle and genuine lady with a wonderful sense of humor. She was also a lady whose life had been shaped by coming to know Jesus, of acknowledging him as Messiah, the Son of God, in a personal way as a young lady. This relationship with Jesus had radically shaped her life. She yeah, it was a desire for others to know this Jesus that had led her to giving up a very promising career in illustration in London to go to Thailand as a missionary in the early 1950s when it wasn't easy to be there. There in Thailand, she'd helped to set up clinics for leprosy patients who at the time were very much on the fringes of society. And she also shared Jesus with her patients and others she met. Lalagay returned to the UK in the 1960s, having not seen much fruit of what she had been involved in. And she continued to live a life dedicated to following Jesus, of serving others in society in many different ways. She was somebody who was very understated about herself always pointed others to Jesus. 
Lalligay had chosen four Bible readings that were read on Thursday. And the first was Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 39. And I'm just going to read that. What then shall we say in response to those things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor heights or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That love of God through Christ Jesus that allowed Jesus to pay the ultimate price. Now, Lalagay was confident that these words are true. Can I ask the question, do you also know that? The Jesus that we read about earlier being taken to Pilate, then to Herod, and then back to Pilate, he went on to die as a result of that trial. And that his death and resurrection conquered the power of death to separate us from God. And Jesus is now sat at the right hand of God the Father, praying for you and for me. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God. Lalagay had lived to the age of 96. And story after story that was shared on Thursday was of a life that lived by what we read in the Bible. And I can testify from what I saw of her myself, what I saw of her life and influence here in the UK, but also the privilege I had of seeing how God had used Lalagay, as well as many others, and through his grace and power to to see many people in central Thailand come to know Jesus. For the first 10 years that I was in Thailand, somehow God placed me in a town that was halfway between the two towns she had worked in back in the 1950s. And she'd worked there with her husband, Robert. And it was a delight as I visited those towns to find groups of believers and hear the stories of how many of the first believers in those areas were leprosy patients and their families. 
the types of people that Lalagay was reaching with the hands and feet of Jesus, showing practical love. And when I had the opportunity, when I was back in the UK, to share those stories with Lalagay herself, what her God had done, her eyes were filled with tears of joy. And she praised God for his transforming power and work. So again, I ask you, who do you say Jesus is? Do you say he's the Messiah? Do you say he is powerful and able to change lives? Is he able to change your life? If it's the first time you're saying that tonight or thinking that tonight, come and talk to one of the team here. They would love to talk to you more about that. They'd love to pray with you. They'd love to explore it with you. If you've called yourself a Christian, somebody who knows Jesus personally for a while, and you're wondering, how does that mean, or what does that mean for how I live my life? Is he asking you to to share him with others? Is that here in Aberystwyth, is it further away? I'd love to chat with you. And again, I'm sure the team would love to chat with you. I'd like to finish our time together, or this bit of our time together, with some prayer. Let your hearts join in if you, yeah, if you are, feel it is right as well. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can approach you. Jesus, we thank you for the price you paid. We thank you that you've made it possible to come to you by being obedient, even in the face of false accusations. We thank you that you are a powerful God. We thank you that yeah, you change lives, that you make it possible for us to approach you. And Lord, I pray for those who are maybe thinking about that for the first time tonight. Lord, help them as they think, as they explore, as they seek you. And for those here who have known you for some time and want to know you more, Lord, I pray that you'll meet with them as they seek you. And Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters throughout this land, throughout this world. Lord, we pray that as they, as they come and, yeah, worship you as they come and read your word, Lord, that they will know you more and more each day. And we think of all those who haven't yet had the opportunity to know you. Father, we pray for those in nations where there is so much limitations. Lord, we think of brothers and sisters who, who know you as Lord and Savior in countries like North Korea in China, in Vietnam, in Laos. Lord, may they be reminded of your presence. May they know you with them. May they know that, yeah, that you are Lord and Savior and be confident of who they are in you. And Lord, we do pray for 
yeah, for your kingdom to be established more and more throughout this world. In Jesus' name, amen.